0: Hey, everybody, Sean King here. I'm on sabbatical, so we're rerunning some of our favorite episodes of The Breakdown and other North Star podcasts. I hope you enjoy them, and I'll see you again in August with brand-new content. The the Breakdown. The the, Breakdown. The Breakdown. If Tennessee versus Garner provided the modern framework for how police could literally get away with murder, Graham versus Connor pumped it with steroids. It supercharged it, and it has done more to protect brutal police than perhaps any other law in the country. Don't just take my word for it. Police Magazine, yes, there's a magazine called Police Magazine. They have an article called Understanding Graham versus Connor, and in there they say, quote, a quarter century ago. The United States Supreme Court ruled on a case that determines the legality of every law enforcement use of force incident. End of quote. Graham versus Connor is that crucial. And police departments all over the country are teaching Tennessee versus Garner and Graham versus Connor to their officers to ensure that they will basically beat almost any and every case thrown their way. Now Tennessee versus Garner, it's problematic, but Graham versus Connor is actually far worse. Let me tell you a story for a moment. There's a difference between life and in, life. in 1984, a middle-aged black man who worked for the North Carolina Department of Transportation named the Thorne Graham. He noticed that he was lightheaded. He had experienced this exact feeling before. He was a diabetic and he was on the verge of an insulin attack. But this time he wasn't at home. He was riding in the car with a friend of his, a coworker, William Barry, and Graham knew that if William didn't stop somewhere to get him some orange juice to balance out his blood sugar levels, Graham knew that he was going to pass out. So William pulled the car over at a random gas station in Charlotte to get Graham some orange juice. Graham got out of the car, walked into the gas station, grabbed himself a small bottle of orange juice, prepared to purchase it, then he noticed the line was long. So instead of purchasing the orange juice, Graham sat the orange juice on the top of a shelf there in the gas station, ran back out to the car, and just asked his buddy to hurry up and take him home instead. As you may have noticed, No crime was committed. He didn't steal the orange juice. Nobody was harmed. And at this point, we just have a friend trying to help a friend through a medical emergency. But this is America. And in the parking lot of that gas station was a Charlotte police officer, Connor. Remember, the Supreme Court case is Graham versus Connor. And Officer Connor, who was white, didn't think that what he saw was harmless at all. When he saw a black man go into that store and come back out of the store without anything in his hands, Connor was convinced that he had just witnessed an armed robbery. Now, Graham didn't have a gun. He didn't have a bag of cash. He was just black, and Connor didn't like the way Graham walked in and out of the store. So Graham got in the passenger side seat of the car, asked his friend to leave, and they pulled off. To be clear, and I just have to say this, they didn't peel out their tires, they didn't break the speed limit. William Berry just backed his car out of the parking lot and began driving Graham home. But Officer Connor, convinced that he had just witnessed two black men rob a gas station, followed them in his squad car, turned on his flashing police lights and proceeded to pull them over. And they pulled over. When Connor got to the driver's side window, William Barry calmly told him that his friend, the Thorne Graham, was about to pass out because of his diabetes and that he desperately needed some orange juice. Unconvinced that black people even had medical emergencies, Officer Connor decides that it's actually he who was in grave danger. So he goes back to his car and calls for emergency backup. Mind you, they didn't threaten him but he believed they had just robbed a convenience store and were lying about it. And guess what happens? Graham literally gets out of the car and passes out right there on the road. Desperate, wondering if his friend might die, William Barry begs Connor and the new cops who arrived on the scene, he begs those cops to simply give his friend some orange juice, give him some sugar, anything to help him. Instead, With Graham fully unconscious, and this is, it's a ridiculous story, with Graham fully unconscious, and all of this, it's all in the Supreme Court records, the officers instead tightly handcuff Graham's hands behind his back and literally throw him onto the hood of his friend's car while he's unconscious. The others then proceed to laugh and insist that Graham is faking the whole thing another officer insisted that Graham didn't even have diabetes, but was drunk and told everybody there, I've seen people with diabetes and they don't act like this. Furious at Graham, another officer literally slammed Graham's head onto the car, which momentarily brought Graham back to consciousness. Graham hardly awake, then begged the officers to simply look in his back pocket where he kept a medical card stating that he had diabetes. The officers refused. Instead, with his arms cuffed behind his back, the officers threw Graham into the back of the police car head first and slammed the door on him. A bystander offered Graham orange juice, but the officers refused to give it to him. Finally, one of the cops decides to go back to the gas station to ask the staff about the armed robbery that just took place. And, of course, the gas station attendant was confused. The line was still long and no type of robbery had ever taken place. And guess what was right there on the shelf? Graham's orange juice. No robbery happened. No crime. No mischief. Nothing. Where police could have actually helped a desperate man through a medical emergency, they instead imagined a series of crimes. And they brutalized a the man who could have really, really used their help. At that point, it would have made a lot of sense for those officers to take Thorne Graham directly to the hospital. He was now completely unconscious in the back of their car. But instead of taking him to the hospital, they literally took him home and dumped his listless body in his own front yard. When Graham woke up, completely confused and battered, His foot was broken, his rotator cuff torn on his left shoulder, cuts were all over his wrist from the cuffs, and his forehead was badly bruised from being slammed onto the cop car. Police had literally just racially profiled a black man for a crime he didn't commit, ignored his medical emergency, brutally beat him, then dumped him in his own front yard instead of taking him to the hospital presumably because they would have had to explain to the doctors and nurses how Graham got so injured. So their bright idea was to dump his battered body off in his own front yard and just leave him there. He could have died. So, of course, the thorn Graham sued the city. He sued the police department and he sued the officers who did this to him. Of course he did. Of course, he demanded that the officers who brutalized him be fired. But and this probably comes as no surprise to you, Charlotte and North Carolina fought back, the police fought back, locally, and then in district courts, until the case eventually went all the way to the Supreme Court. And that Supreme Court decision, Graham versus Connor, which took place now thirty years ago in nineteen eighty nine, has absolutely everything to do with. With why it is nearly impossible to hold police responsible for police brutality today. And let me break down that decision. Break it down, down. I believe that Graham versus Connor is one of the worst decisions in the modern history of the Supreme Court of the United States. What DeThorne Graham experienced was so brutal, so racist. So unreasonable and excessive that the idea that any court could look at what happened to him and decide that it was legal, that the Supreme Court could look at that and decide that it was justified, is in and of itself unjust. Now let me break it down. The Supreme Court, in Graham versus. Connor, determined that, quote, "the reasonable use of force." By any officer, must be viewed from the perspective of what appeared reasonable in the moment of its application, not from twenty twenty hindsight. And so the Supreme Court let me let me make sense of this. So the Supreme Court ruled that of all the ways the cops brutalized DeThorne Graham, an unarmed, nonviolent, middle-aged Black man who broke no laws. It was in desperate need of medical attention. The Supreme Court ruled that cops cannot be held responsible for truths they did not know in the moment. In other words, because the cops believed that DeThorne Graham had just committed a violent armed robbery, because another cop believed that he was drunk and lying to them, even though those things were completely false, because cops believed them, Cops cannot be held responsible for the actual truth. They can only be held responsible for what they believed in the moment. And the judges ruled that the cops, believing the Thorn Graham to be a violent, drunk, non-cooperative felon, had the right to brutalize him. In other words, even though those Charlotte cops were absolutely wrong to do what they did based on the actual facts of the case, because all of those facts, because those facts were not available to them while they assaulted Graham and while they deprived him of medical attention or even a bottle of juice, they can't be held liable for their actions. You can't hold cops, according to Graham versus Connor. You can't hold them responsible for what they learn in hindsight. Officers, therefore, are fully empowered to act in the moment, even if just a little bit of restraint would have proven those actions to be completely egregious. If one of those officers had just offered Graham a sip of orange juice, if they had just checked the medical ID card in his back pocket any of those small actions, had they just gone and checked on the store to see if it was actually robbed before they brutalized him, any of those things would have stopped this moment. But officers are not held responsible for things they learn in hindsight. It's crazy, I know, but for 30 years, Graham versus Connor has given even the worst cops in the world protection from prosecution. I said all of that to say that America's juries are not given the luxury of deciding the guilt or innocence of an officer apart from Tennessee versus Garner or Graham versus Connor. I've talked to men and women who've served on juries of some of the most egregious, abusive cases of police brutality, and they were instructed on the rules of Tennessee versus Garner and Graham versus Connor. They are consistently instructed that law enforcement officers are allowed to use lethal force based on what they believe to be happening in that moment. Now, these same rights are not afforded to me and you. They're not afforded to everyday citizens. They are special privileges given only to police. And these privileges are not optional. They're guaranteed by the Supreme Court of the United States. No new local policies can supersede them. No protest alone can change them. And as long as Tennessee versus Garner and Graham versus Connor stand as law, police brutality will be protected. It will be functionally legal. That's the bottom line. Listen, I previously wrote a 25 part series on over two dozen policy changes that I think would probably cut police brutality down by 50%. And I still stand by that. But even with all of those policy changes, as long as these two landmark cases stand, police brutality is going to be protected. It's what protected the officer who shot and killed Philando Castile, who claimed that he thought Philando, who was actually a harmless cafeteria supervisor, and a beloved man at the elementary school where he worked and memorized every single child's name and food allergies. Because the officer who pulled Philando over claimed that he thought when he saw Philando drive by, that Philando Castile's nose resembled the nose of a man wanted in an armed robbery. Because the officer claimed he thought Philando was a violent armed robber. He was allowed by law to shoot and kill Philando because officers are not held responsible for the truth, only for what they believe in the moment. Now ask yourself, how well could this officer have seen a man's nose driving by? And how clearly must he have memorized the nose on a video? to see a man's nose drive by and think that it belongs to an armed robber. It was really just a classic case of racial profiling, but it was all allowed. And I spoke to a member of that jury who said that every single person on that jury believed that what happened to Philando Castile was unjust, but that the jury was given instructions On what cops were allowed to do, and the jury felt forced to find him not guilty as a result. And it's outrageous. And until we address these case laws, justice will be exceedingly rare. Now, tomorrow, I will conclude this three-part series with how I think we should respond. The break. break,